Pat's Interference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So if you follow college football, you know there are designated periods in the calendar known as the dead period. Most often this is in reference to recruiting. Kids can't hear from coaches when they're still in high school and they might be high on their boards. There's a limit on a variety of different things. And it says a lot for a sport that only has a a season that lasts basically three months. Now for the NFL, which prides in itself being a year-round sport, the dead periods are few and far between. But we've kind of hit one right now two weeks to go until the draft teams i can tell you have their draft boards pretty much finalized they're not running out the clock but they're running through scenarios at this point what they're going to do if this player falls if they get this trade offer just so whatever happens thursday night and then friday night and saturday during the day they're prepared in the meantime the media side we fill it with a lot of the rumor mill but there's not a lot of hard news going on besides Bryce Young took that visit or CJ Stroud did this or Anthony Richardson just broke his own record at the combine for broad jump or whatever it might be so what are we going to do today today uh, I'm going to read parts of what I posted to the bostonherald.com here on Wednesday as we record which is a Q&A just about state of the patriots this executive I've had a relationship uh, with for a couple of years now super helpful in a lot of different fronts familiar with the Patriots. His team faced the Patriots last year. So I feel good about going to him. And the Q&A didn't yield a ton of insights. I don't think a lot of people have thrown out there, but there are a few key points I wanted to relay here in the pod before we get to Mike McNansky, formerly at WEI. He's got his own Substack now. I am a subscriber. Please go subscribe to Mutt's Substack. Uh, Thoughts on betting, the Celtics, the Bruins, the Patriots, Red Sox. It's all there. He's a great guy. Does a lot of great content before inevitably he has a new home uh, where you can hear him beyond this podcast. So what Mutt and I talked about were the odds heading up to the draft, which you can see in betting markets. You know, what are the chances Bryce Young goes number one versus CJ Stroud? They've changed a lot. And I think that's where you can start to separate the real information, whether it's from the Sharps, you know, these big betters with a lot of inside information from stuff you're going to hear in the next two weeks and what's actually going on, because Vegas needs to make its money, and it does that by having information before anybody else. So we get into our best bets for the first, second, third overall pick. Not a ton of solid advice there, but you'll hear odds that I think will surprise you, some ideas that I think are worthy of keeping in mind as we get closer to the draft. Then finally, into the Patriots' odds uh, for their first pick, what position they'll draft, then they're over-under for the season, and of course, whether or not they'll make the playoffs. So Mutt and I actually split on that. Really good conversation with him, but until then... Here is the current state of the Patriots as told to me by a high-ranking NFL executive who, again, knows them pretty well. So this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast still brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. Perfect time, not to mention with the C's and B's heading into what should be very favorable first-round series coming up in the playoffs. Um, it is certainly not a dead period for basketball and hockey, but... You are here for the football. So without further ado, uh, first question to this NFL executive, I asked, hey, what is just your kind of step back 30,000 foot view impression of the Patriots offseason? He said, quote, they obviously targeted offense and wanted to upgrade their weapons, which was smart. They did lose Jacoby, and I think he's a good player, but he's not a great player, though I honestly think the same of Juju. I think he's better than Jacoby, but it's not some huge gap. So it's a little surprising they picked him over Jacoby for the same money, essentially, Then again, I don't know what's going on inside that building as far as if there were other issues. Okay, nothing groundbreaking there. Trade Jacoby for Juju, roughly the same money. The structure's different. We talked about this a month ago. Moving on. I asked him, 
Okay, in your opinion, how much of an upgrade is Juju Smith-Schuster and Mike Gesicki over Jacoby Myers and Jonu Smith? This was an interesting point to me. Um, Gesicki is definitely an upgrade over Jonu. I haven't heard that a whole lot. He gives him a, a little bit more of a vertical threat down the middle of the field where Mac thrives, but it all depends on how they use him. Miami didn't get much out of Gesicki last year because he's not a tight end for the Shanahan offense like George Kittle was for Mike McDaniel back in San Francisco. He's more of a big wide receiver, so he wasn't really a fit. The year before, we, meaning his team, gave Gesicki a lot of attention, whereas this season, teams knew he wasn't going to get targets. So that solves the question of why was Gesicki's production down so much, which, again, things that have been said before, but it's more the idea that Gesicki not only just fits in an offense where, you know, the Patriots will happily use him in any capacity other than blocking because that's the best way to use Mike Kosicki and they're flexible and they want to be versatile. But it's down the middle of the field where Mac thrives. This not only fits the Patriots adding Kosicki, but it fits Mac. And I've talked about this before. That's where Mac operates. That's where he's best. The numbers, though, from last year, even if it was a down season, you go, according to PFF, on his deep throws. Again, this is all down the middle, you know, between the hashes, a little bit outside. Down the middle, 20-plus yards downfield, these deep throws. He completed 64% of those throws. 19.4 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, and a rating of 97.9. Now you go from 10 to 19 yards downfield. Again, middle of the field where he's attacking. A lot of this kind of uh, you know play-action throws, suck in the second level of the defense, throw behind those linebackers, crossers, digs, whatever it might be intermediate middle of the field, 10 to 19 yards, Matt completed 81.3% of his passes, 13.7 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, a rating of 113.5. This is where Mike Kosicki thrives. This is where Mac needs to operate. This is why that executive and I think they're going to have uh, a good season. Next question for him. Again, you can read the full article at the bostonherald.com. Uh, any other takeaways? All he mentioned was that, you know, from reports that Belichick might not believe in Mac. We're not going to go into that. But that was his thought as far as, okay, why aren't the Patriots going all in to support Mac with receivers when he's on the rookie contract and you also have the extra money and invest here and there? His idea was, well, if they're not sold, they're not going to do that because then that takes up all your money to get another quarterback who in all likelihood is going to be more expensive. Now, he also raised the point, as we just talked about, Gesicki fits Mac. So it's not like they're not supporting Mac, which would, of course, sabotage themselves in the process because the quarterback's the most important player on any roster. It's just that's kind of in the back of people's minds around the league when they look at the Patriots and go, okay, we're hearing these reports, which some are right, some are not, um, but their actions could speak to this. It's just a matter of the Patriots are investing their resources. They're middle of the pack now in cap space, about $12 million. That'll be enough to handle their draft class midseason expenditures it's very common for them to have between eight to 12 million in space going into the year so you can't quibble it's like they're leaving money on the table as much as okay how are they using that money and investing it that's where i think the patriots are not doing as much or doing you know pouring that money into receivers like you might want to see but when you go into those numbers as far as giving mac a number one and spending on this the patriots are 19th in receiver spending for this upcoming season when you look at the top five, these are teams you don't want to be necessarily. The Rams, number one in wide receiver spending. The Cardinals, number two. The Raiders, number three. The Broncos, number four. And then the Jaguars are number five. Now, the Jaguars, of course, spend all that money 
in you know concert with Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract. We want to support them. You even go through six through ten. Miami's in there. Okay, they wouldn't have made the playoffs if the Patriots had just won their last game. They had the tiebreaker uh, over the Dolphins. So the receiver spending doesn't necessarily correlate with winning. There's more to it. And then you look at the spending. Okay, the Patriots could still invest a little bit more and not crack the top five or top ten. They're still number one in tight end spending. And a lot of that was the mistake of Johnny Smith, which is largely the reason that Mike Kosicki is here. Okay, to wrap this up, I asked this executive, uh, has the Patriots offseason to date just changed what you think about them and their chances for next season? He said, quote, I think that they got a little bit more vertical in the passing game with Juju and Gesicki, but I still don't necessarily know if my overarching impressions of their issues have changed all that much. I don't think that they're particularly explosive offensively. And defensively, they don't have a lot of playmakers outside of Judon. There's no one you really fear. Like you go to Miami, an offensive team. They've got Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard, and you've got a plan around them. There's not a lot in New England that I say, quote, hey, watch out for that. Now, obviously, they're well coached and they do a good job, but I just think that the talent threats are still not to the level of Buffalo or the Dolphins or the Jets. So last question for him, do you expect them to finish fourth in the AFC East? He said, it's hard to say they're going to finish fourth because they've never done it or really in the last 20 years under Belichick. But to him, the talent gap is still, quote, pretty significant. So, again, there's not a whole lot there that folks on the outside or TV or radio aren't going to say. But the fact that that our impressions largely mirror those inside the league says a lot about the state of the Patriots. And the Patriots are once again betting that they know better about themselves than you do, than I do, that a lot of people around the league do. But at some point, as I've said before in this podcast, the talent is the talent. And this draft, as far as their long-term outlook and also their immediate returns in this 2023 season, they have to nail this if they want to prove themselves right because the coaching's been fixed. That's great. But again, how many players are putting a scare into opposing defensive or offensive coordinators? We're a new executive, and I would agree with them. Not a whole lot. Two national champions in the house now, Mike Matnansky. Back for his third time in Pat's interference. We always lead with some UConn talk. I always promise that there's going to be little. I probably hit the over as we get into a betting podcast and how many words, syllables, or seconds I spent on the UConn Huskies. But, man, it was inevitable. I have you back. We got to talk about ring number five. So get it out of your system, and then we'll we'll move on. Congrats to us, Andrew. We went to a school <laughs> that's good at basketball. We did so much to accomplish the other national championship for UConn. It was, it was a great run. And I actually wrote about this. I do, I do writing at, at mutstack.com, which is a website that I've launched here the last month or so. And I, maybe you, you're in a similar situation. Like once you start working in sports, being a fan and, and working in it, it's tough to coexist. And so for me, like the Patriots and the Celtics and the Red Sox and the Bruins in large part, what's the story going to be? I'm watching the game. What are we talking about? What are the, what are people listening going to want to talk about? UConn is complete just a fandom thing for me. I still root yeah. and yell at the TV like I'm a, a senior, you know, living off campus in Source, Connecticut. So to see them have that January little drop, which they always seem to have, you know, they're Calhoun, they do that. And to see them round into form and everyone sort of be like, hey, if they play their best, they're one of the best teams in the country. To see it play out and see them dominate. Yeah, I rooted like a little kid. Like I, my, my kids were into it. I was into it. And it was... uh it was a very fun run. I couldn't go to New Orleans to watch the games, <laughs> but I was at home. I had a good time. It was a, it was a hell of a run. Yeah, it was. It's uh, I I I'll I'll stay on that point for a second because I think people outside the business 
don't understand that you really kind of divorce yourself for the most part. I mean, and we've reached this kind of gray area in space where, you know, in, in some outlets, you can be a reporter and a fan at the same sure, time. Yeah. And I don't think that's some sort of cardinal sin here in the business now as it once was viewed, but it's when it becomes your day-to-day work life, it saps some of that kind of raw passion and emotion, uh, at least for me, which then I want an outlet elsewhere. And you kind of really become that for me. So I was very happy to have that passion and that emotion be super positive in a championship level, even if it took me until basically the final buzzer to believe that was going to happen. Okay. <laughs> on, on to the draft. Can you tell there's a little anxiety baked into my, my little bit, a little bit. Yeah, just a tad. So what we're doing here today, I said in the intro, we are giving the folks a guide on how to bet the NFL draft because this is a kind of a dead period. The rumor mill is going to hit into high gear. There's going to be some stuff that gets out, like people forget Joan Williams was telegraphed as the Patriots uh, target in the second round days, if not a full week before it happened in 2019. And yes, unfortunately, folks, it did happen. Other stuff you're going to hear, uh, like the Niners targeting Mac Jones, is complete BS. So in the meantime... We're going to fill you with some information because their betting trends, I think, are going to be the best reflection of what will happen. And so there's time for them to change. We've already seen some waves. So we'll do the first pick, second pick, third pick, then get to the position that the Patriots are going to draft first, whether it's at 14th or if they trade back, wherever it's going to be. What's the position of the player that they draft first? And then they're over under win totals and their odds currently to make or miss the playoffs. All odds, obviously, courtesy of Fandle. So I sent this to you. And I will run down the odds for the first overall pick now because I talked about a sea change. These numbers just in the last week have swung massively. At one point last week, Bryce Young, who is now the odds-on favorite to become the first overall pick uh, in this year's draft, he was plus 230 and I think close to plus 300, meaning you bet $100, you win 230 or 300 because the odds are lower. Previously, C.J. Stroud was the odds-on favorite. He is now plus 200 where his odds are below Bryce Young, you need to bet $270 to win 100 with Bryce. So that is a massive gap between him as the number one odds on favorite to CJ Stroud, who again is plus 200. The third favorite to go number one overall is another quarterback, Anthony Richardson, plus 2,000. His number two weeks ago was plus 450. So his odds have gotten worse. Bryce Young's have gotten better. You look at these numbers, these names, and think what? Yeah, and I think, Andrew, what he just did, folks, for those who have not been on the NFL draft, is the most important piece of this. Like, it's not what I think of the player or what Andrew saw at the combine, watched the tape. It doesn't mean Jack. The, the, the betting odds are a huge indicator of the information coming out. And this, to me, is the biggest key. Now that in Massachusetts, where a lot of people are listening right now, you legally bet on the NFL draft because you're going to have these massive changes. And I'm glad you brought it up with the quarterbacks in particular. And so when you ask me, like, sorry, the, the hierarchy of all this stuff, like, I'm, I'm just following the market. And I, I would at, urge people, we're talking, what, two and a half weeks out, two weeks out from the, the draft year, end of April. You got to sort of follow where this money is going. Uh, and you got to follow these odds changes. And I think the quarterback one is a really interesting point because people expect the quarterbacks to go one, two in some order. But we're two weeks out and they still can't decide, Andrew, what freaking order it's going to be in. And so for me, following the information on this stuff is the most important part. Figure out which guys who do mock drafts are really good at their job, which guys who are on the local or national beats are just being used as mouthpieces for the organization. That happens over and over again. You mentioned Mac Jones last year out there in San Francisco. And so the, my biggest takeaway is looking at the quarterbacks in particular, 
Nobody knows anything right now, okay? Because the odds have switched in a matter of five days. They have flip-flopped almost 180 from where they were between Bryce Young uh, and C.J. Stroud, as you mentioned. And so I think we're still in that period where information is key, but I don't, I, I don't get the sense anyone knows anything yet at the top of the draft. So you've heard from folks like Adam Schefter, and I want to say Chris Mortensen, that Carolina has swung towards Bryce Young, which is, of course, reflected in the numbers I just mentioned. Again, going sure. from plus 230 to minus 270 now, um, a 500-point dollar swing. Yeah. And I will say I've heard third hand. So this is information where, Ooh. again, people outside the business you know, don't know that it's not a matter of everything you hear, you pass on. Like I need to sit, decide, consider, is this true? Can I confirm it elsewhere? You know, where did they hear it from? How solid is it? Because, you know, it's my name attached to the report. If I hear something, yeah. I report it and it's incorrect. I don't get to go, well, this anonymous source who I've trusted and built trust with screwed up and it's on them because then no one ever talks to me again. And it's my fault because I'm responsible for my own words. That all said, third hand, Someone who knows folks in Carolina told me that, yeah, he thinks they're going to take Bryce Young. And that's been reflected here. So do I put a ton of stock into that? No. If I did, I would tweet it. I would report it. But now that the numbers have swung and you've heard it from other outlets, people who are closer to Carolina than I am, my point here is if you want to bet on the first three picks, I would kind of pair Bryce Young in a, in a small parlay as the number one overall pick with any other decision you feel confident about, which is up to you. I don't feel particularly strong. We'll get to the number two pick here. But are you on the, this is kind of the misinformation time, or people are finally starting to wise up to Carolina wants to take Bryce Young, who all told, if we want to step back for a second, was the best quarterback in college football last year. And often we do this long circular dance of ending up in the same place where we left off at the end of the season with the draft. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, let's just take the best player. Yeah, they seem pretty risk averse to me. And so why I why I'm not convinced they're definitely gonna take Bryce Young, even with this related information, is the his height. Like I, I still can see in the Carolina draft from like, are we really gonna take the short are we really gonna do this? We had this ready-made guy in CJ Stroud. Like I I, I they're gonna go with quarterback. Like I think it's pretty safe to say Carolina is drafting a quarterback. Am I confident that I want to like lock in Bryce Young at the top of, of parlays or um, you know, uh, the first two or three picks in a row? I'm not there yet, but I like what you said. Like, so implied odds means right now, Bryce Young at minus 250. He, if you're betting that, 71% of the time he goes number one. I don't feel that confident right now, two weeks out from the draft, but I do think it's going to be a quarterback. And something you just said is really interesting. These markets aren't open yet, but based on the last couple of years, they're going to open markets, Andrew, where you can bet on the order of the first two picks, first three picks, first four picks. That'd be interesting because it feels like quarterback is a lock at one. And then from there, you can sort of build out different tickets. So you can go the second quarterback, which is going to be the, uh, again, low odds. I think most people expect it to be Stroud and Young right now in some semblance of order. Then at number three, it gets interesting. And we'll get to the Cardinals and the trade chip there, what they might want to do because their roster stinks and they need a bunch of different things. But I like what you're saying. I have no interest in Bryce Young. I have no interest even in C.J. Stroud at two to one. What I want to do is wait till the market start to build out those parlays and those pick orders you're talking about take the information we get and try to hit a big score that way versus, yeah, I'm going to bet 250 to win two, you know, 100 on, on Bryce Young going one. Right. All right, let's get to number two then because these odds are a little bit more interesting yeah. than just, you know, the three quarterbacks in really the order of which they're on the consensus draft board, you know, maybe Flip Stroud and Bryce Young, but Anthony Richardson pretty solidly number three. And then Will Levis, I didn't mention because it doesn't deserve mentioning for the number one overall pick. But Houston at two, 
Recently, Adam Schefter has come out and said they're not necessarily sold on these quarterbacks and that they might go with, of course, a non-quarterback or perhaps trade back. Now, if I was Houston trying to generate more interest in that pick, that's exactly what I would say. And maybe they like a quarterback like Will Levis, who they figure they can draft if they want to go back. I don't know any of this. Of course, again, this is misinformation season, but the odds with C.J. Stroud, whether it's Houston picking second or another team trading up to go get him at minus 115 – Seems fine. Bryce Young is plus 250. The third player, though, who's not a quarterback, is Will Anderson at plus 500 because he is a two-time consensus All-American at Alabama. First player ever to be a two-time consensus All-American at Alabama. He plays a premium position. This would be, of course, if Houston stays there, probably the best player on the board, certainly the one with the least baggage. When you look at Jalen Carter out of Georgia, who, you know, defensive tackle and everything that's gone on with him. Yeah. It's really him and Will Anderson as far as like blue chip guys in the top tier by themselves. So I like Will Anderson there at that number, whether Houston stays uh, or probably stays in that that scenario, or maybe someone goes up and, and gets him from a couple spots behind. But what do you make of those names and those numbers? I think I believe in the this this idea that Houston's not locked in. And, and you mentioned Adam Schefter. I'll go local for a second. Lance Zerline, right? Lance Zerline, mm-hmm. people that don't know, was a Houston radio host for a long time. He decided to be wants to be the next Andrew Callahan in Houston. He's basically on the NFL beat now for the Texans, does some work at the NFL website. Last year, right, you go back to his last mock draft last year, he had the Texans three taking Daryl Stingley. Like, very few people did. He was tied into it. Derek. What's that? Derek. Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley Jr., yeah. excuse me. Gotcha. And there's a suggestion he might be close with the front office there in Houston. Um, he had that nailed at number three. He just came out in his recent mock draft last week. He has the same information Schefter does, except he has him taking Tyree Wilson, who's mm-hmm. another edge guy. So I, I truly believe this is a, that Houston has not decided what they're doing yet. They have another pick in the first round at 12. So if they feel like they can get a similar type quarterback at 12, the four quarterbacks are going in the first round in some order, maybe five if the kid from Tennessee goes. So I believe that that this thing is still open and I think it opens the door potentially for a trade there. So when you're talking about, you know, moving up to that position, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, Anthony Richardson, like he's been tied to the Colts. We'll get to him. I'm sure. But like, if the Colts get nervous that he's not going to be there, would they trade up with the Texans to make sure they get their guy? It feels very wide open to me. I don't find it right now. Two weeks out, Andrew, as solid as quarterback, quarterback, one, two, I think, too, at least what what you're reading, the information, the betting market, it does feel a little bit more open than the odds would dictate. Okay. All right, let's go on to three then because I, I like Will Anderson, but not so much where, again, that intel information, that it was a great point about Lance Airline, who does also all of the scouting reports. If you just type in, pick your favorite prospect, NFL Draft or NFL.com or Google, that report that he's written on the league's website is going to come up first. Very useful information, particularly for people like me who, you know, starting in late January doing draft catch-up. Now, number three overall, we know that Arizona has had the for sale sign in their yard, not only of DeAndre Hopkins, but this third overall pick for a long time. And so when you look at the odds here, you know, they have Kyler Murray, but the player most likely to go third overall, according to FanDuel right now, is Anthony Richardson plus 100, which seems, dude, you got a little smile on, to, to, to be somewhere in your wheelhouse. If not, Will Anderson is plus 250. Then C.J. Stroud is plus 600. Again, I, the only thing I'll say I feel great about right now is Bryce Young going number one. The odds have only continued to get worse. But if you feel good about any of these at home, or we'll get to the Patriots here in a second, 
that's where I would combine that action when it comes. The other note I would say, only twice in NFL history have you know the draft gone quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Never before have four quarterbacks gone in a row to start the draft. I'm less Ooh. inclined to believe that will happen, but two out of three, first and third or first and second, seems very likely to me. Where that is, though, I don't know. This is where yeah, the I, odds I, come in. You should say, well, you should say, I don't know right now, because anyone who's saying they know right now, they're just lying. And, and, right. and you can say you like Anderson, or you like Richardson, or you like let like you you can like all these guys on tape. These teams right now are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their future. The Cardinals roster, as you alluded to, it's garbage. So are they really going to reinvest in a quarterback now? Even they like a guy there at three when they have so many other needs, like everything I read says they're trading, they want to trade back. And so then you've got to start handicapping. Well, who's going to trade into that spot? Is it, are they really going to trade up one spot, the Colts to get Richardson? Is someone going to leapfrog them? Does someone like them? Because someone likes Anthony Richardson for a while there, he was the number one favorite for a week or so to go number one overall. So there's buzz about this guy. I read some Josh Allen comps this past week about his raw talent. But this is where it's like, again, two weeks out. Am I confident saying I love someone at three? I just don't. Other than this is where the thing's going to be chaotic. And this is where I think you can build multiple tickets with that parlay idea you talked about, where you're t- you've are you got the quarterback first and third, first and second, and leaving this spot open for third quarterback potentially, QB, QB, QB. Um, one of the random defensive names we talked about, like I there, this is the chance now where you're getting me excited about how can I make money on the draft? It's leaving the options open. Whenever I don't feel so certain about something happening, give yourself outs like in poker to hit the nuts. And when you do get three or four right in a row, you're going to get paid. Certainty is a, uh, is an off season seductress. My friend, we get so <laughs> certain about how, how good teams are going to be. When players go get drafted, we just sink into it. We swim in it and training camp hits and it goes, Oh, this Patriots offense is, is the worst offense I've ever seen. And then there's a denial period, and we all suffered through an eight-night season. But it's it's the beauty and the pain of the NFL is what you just talked about. So I I I love that stance of just when everyone is so certain, I'm going to zag and just keep my options open, as you said, hope to see a river and everything. Again, the, the suggestion is not to make bets now, but when you look at the numbers and if you you know are so inclined, check to see how they evolve. Because right now, again, I feel good about Bryson. I think C.J. Stroud, you know. It, second or third feels really good. Those odds are very different. Minus, um, you know, one fifteen going second overall to plus six hundred at third. In that scenario, I think what happens is Houston doesn't get a deal that it wants to make, takes the non quarterback, and then Arizona gets the deal that probably Houston didn't want and jumps back from number three. Um, because then you have a guy who a couple of weeks ago was considered worthy of the number one overall pick, seems to be probably the safest quarterback prospect in this class. And and six to one seems like a great odds to me, but yeah. that's assuming Bryce Young goes number one and no one trades up to two to get him with Houston. Mind you, there's a team in Las Vegas also headed by a former Patriots executive like the Texans are with Nick Casario that might want to make that jump. But any other lingering thoughts before we leave the people and jump to Patriots talk? No, I, I do think that, you know, just be aware, like FanDuel's got odds up, different sportsbook have odds up. Mm-hmm. I'd be, we, we love FanDuel. You got to shop your price here. Uh, I would just say be be wary. Different books, including FanDuel, are offering different prices on this stuff. So uh, it's going to be all over the place. This has become a big commodity for these sports books, Andrew. So there'll be tons of options for you. So at that point, I'm not rushing to bet minus 230, minus 250 on the first pick. Uh, there'll be some better betting opportunities, including, as Andrew alluded to, 
those top three in the market. But get the best price you can no matter what. It's like when you're shopping for something, get the best price, Callahan. That's the deal. Yeah, it's worth price. going from Star to Trader Joe's, occasionally to Walmart. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, no. here we default to our good friends at FanDuel. Yes, okay, absolutely. Patriots, first position drafted. Here are the positions in the numbers. Cornerback plus 250, offensive lineman plus 250, wide receiver plus 300, running back plus 1,000, quarterback plus 1,200, defensive lineman plus 1,400. Only two of these numbers I really care about, Um, one of which is offensive lineman, which I've said for weeks here in this podcast, I think the Patriots are either going to trade back or they're going to stick with an offensive lineman at 14th overall. They should have plenty of different options. Paris Johnson Jr., Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, to name a few. Running back at plus 1,000 has my eye. And it's not just because Jeff Howe, friend of the podcast, tweeted last week that the Patriots have quietly been talking about blue-chip running backs. Daniel Jeremiah had B. John Robinson, a five-star blue-chip player who some have said is the best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley, you know, mocked him to the Patriots at 14. And the Patriots are the type of team that says, even though it has been proven that running backs have been correctly devalued because rushing production is largely dependent on how well you block and how many defenders are in the box. We'll treat him like a swat, uh, a slot receiver. He's a weapon. We'll use him as a pass catcher, all these different yep. things, because that's just kind of what they do. They believe in their coaching and their edges and their, their imagination. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it helps. But in this instance, that number plus 1,000 has my eye in that there's not only just the player who might rarely warrant based on his talent, again, not his positional value. And I will, um, I will pan the pick if it happens, but they're the team to go to zag. And that's what this would be is a running back somewhere in the middle of the first round. All right. What are you hearing? That's all I care about. Forget what I think. I, what are you hearing? What are, what are they? I, I haven't heard anything on Bijan, but I, I know Jeff is not putting it out there without having multiple conversations with multiple people. Um, I, I, I just, of all these picks, Offensive lineman, that is the one I feel best about, even with corner there, because I just think they look at the corner class and go, we'll get someone in the middle rounds and we'll take him there. Yeah, it just makes too much. It's boring. Um, like, I want a wide receiver. Like, if you tell me, you know, say Flowers is there. Uh, I, 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 w- I want a receiver. I want an offensive piece for, I, I usually default to Mac Jones in the offense, but who the hell knows what the offense will play next year uh, at this point. Uh, I want an offensive player. Offensive lineman seems like way too easy. And I like plus two, I, plus two fifty is not a huge number. It does feel like a fair price. Like it yeah. feels like Bill's going to get this foundational offensive piece to protect his quarterback going forward. I'd be, I'd love a running back, Jameer Gibbs, uh, Gibbs, excuse me, absolute stud, but he's not going to go that high in the draft. I'm just curious from your standpoint, like Andrew, for guys like me who are observing this stuff, your coverage, the coverage in the beat, what should we be looking for? Like who are, who are the guys tied in besides yourself? Like who should be, re- how do we read the tea leaves the next two weeks and what the Patriots are going to do with this pick? I think you have folks who either came from scouting departments that, you know, are, are largely under the Belichick tree or school of scouting, of which Daniel Jeremiah is one working with the Ravens, uh, time of the Browns, Eagles are a little bit different. Lewis Riddick, who played for Belichick, grew up understanding his whole scouting system. They'll have a good idea of what the Patriots are thinking and what they'll do. I would just look at the running back number, and I would say, honestly, because of the talent of B. John Robinson, in my mind, it is as likely the Patriots take a running back in the first round as a wide receiver. I think of all of these players, look and hear Zay Flowers, who I think has gotten a lot of hype locally. I think his agent has done a marvelous job reaching out to national people and getting his name and clips out there. He's a very good player. I just don't think the Patriots 
are as high on him. And I don't think a lot of teams are as high on him, particularly at 14th overall. If they do take a receiver, I think it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think, though, that they view their receiving core, again, as needing a whole lot of help. In their minds, they made that investment last year with Tyquan Thornton. And if he pans out, you've got him and Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, who they think is an upgrade, and they're ready to roll, not to mention Hunter Henry coming on a back bounce-back season. So for them, I, I don't like that that number at all at plus 300. You look at Belichick's history, that says everything in my mind also. Nikhil Harry is the one receiver he's ever drafted in the first round. That was a complete and total bust. <laughs> I don't think he's going back to the well. So, again, yeah. I, I said at the start, corner wouldn't shock me. I think it'd be a good pick, but it's offensive lineman or, or running back if you're really going to put some some money where your mouth is. Love it. And I just think it's a good price for a lineman and running back. If they um, trade if they trade back uh, on draft night, what was that signal event? We'll, plan, we'll talk before then, but if they yeah. trade back, is it is, is Gibbs on their radar? Alabama kid played for Bill O'Brien, sure. a great receiving back. I saw the Austin Eckler comps like – I know that Robinson is a Jim Nagy call him a generational talent, like a varsity kid playing on JV. But in my mind, they trade back and get Gibbs as the receiving back to the Ramondre Stevenson first and second down. Back. Well, I think they trade up in the second round. Cause I covered this with Fitzy last week. We had really? mock drafts the last five years. They've traded up in the second round, maybe four years to go get someone starting Joe Juan Williams, Josh yeah. Uche, um, Christian Barmore last year with Tyquan Thornton. So they see value in guys that slide back. From the consensus boards, the mocks, it seems like Gibbs is in that high second round area. You move up to 38 with Vegas, again, front office, you can do a deal like this, um, mm. that I think that could happen. So if they do trade back, I think corner gets to me more likely. Someone like Deontay Banks out of Maryland, a very good man cover corner, could be there if they go back into the early 20s. Emmanuel Forbes, who I projected in the second round last week, and has seemingly only jumped up in the late first round. Like I think corner gets more likely if they do trade back. Offensive line is still a possibility, but... I just, I just don't, I don't see the receiver thing. I think it's it's Smith and Jigba. Jim Nagy, also former Patriots scout. You want to talk about people who know? He's in yeah. that same group with Daniel Jeremiah and Lewis Reddick. Let's get you out on this. Um, Patriots over under right now is seven and a half, <laughs> and their playoffs odds. If they make the playoffs right now, you bet the Patriots to make the playoffs is plus two thirty five. You bet a hundred, make two hundred and thirty five dollars. Yep. If you say they won't make the playoffs, you need to bet three hundred dollars. To make 100 is minus 300. Which of those do you like best? Where are you leaning right now? The 2023 Patriots. Yeah, uh, I'm leaning negative. Uh, I saw the win total at seven and a half, minus 122, juiced up to it's even money. So bet 100 to win 100 on the under seven and a half wins. Pre draft, pre everything else, I'd be leaning to not make the playoffs and I'd be leaning that they're under seven and a half wins. It's just, uh, you've written about this, you've talked about it. It's just, it's a weird situation. And I, and I know fans think it's the media that's making this stuff up. But, I mean, the, the Mac Jones-Belichick relationship clearly is strained at some level. Bill O'Brien coming here in, in year one and again, walks into, you know, Mac and Bailey Zappi, like, fighting for a job in Mac's third year. We still know what they're going to do in the draft. Like, the offensive linemen might be helpful long-term. How impactful is it year one? If there's still no blue-chip offensive player for Mac to throw to. Defensively, they've lost some players off that defense. So like I, I it's a lot of things can happen. I'm not rushing to bet these. My lean right now, Andrew, would be they don't make the playoffs and I would go under seven and a half wins at even money. I'm curious, again, pre-draft, where you would lean on those two. The only thing I feel good about is honestly the over because I look at this as really? a team as okay. a classic case of you could be appreciably better with a better offensive line, trickle down effect to Mac, 
rebound season from Hunter Henry and Kendrick Bourne, who have not been any lower in their career statistically. They come forward year two lead potentially for Tyquan Thornton, Cole Strange. Bill O'Brien brings a level of competency, but you could still finish with the same record. And that could be eight and nine. It could be nine and eight, which arguably they should have, depending on some calls in Minnesota last year. That's all ancient history. I just think even with a harder schedule, they'll be around 500 and being around 500 right now is over that number at seven and a half. So they might be the worst team in the AFC East, but I think their injury risk and we've seen their lower outcome. It was last year. I think you can only go up. And if you go up by just a win or you stay at the same total, that's over. So I, I would feel very good about over seven and a half, but you got to go. We will talk Celtics next time you come on. Hopefully that Anytime, is in, uh, middle of June. But I appreciate your expertise, your insight, betting. Hopefully we help some <laughs> folks uh, make some money. But we'll keep an eye on these odds. They're going to move still. They're going to move. And I would say Patriot fans, follow Andrew Callahan. If he's whispering, if he is whispering, he's one of the, he didn't say it, but he's one of the three or four guys on the inside who knows everything. If he's whispering something, he and Karen at the Boston Herald, make sure you are. I know I'll be listening. I'll be texting him 50 times a day between now uh, and Thursday night draft night at the end of April. So don't sell yourself short, Callahan. You're on the inside here. We'll be following you for the Pat stuff. Anytime I can come on, buddy, I appreciate it. Yeah, over under on those texts from FanDuel says uh, 49 and a half. So yeah, over, 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 over. Hey, appreciate the kind words, buddy. You're the best. Later, pal.